Welcome to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Your host, Jesse Jameson, has a real treat for you. You are about to hear a great story. And if Jesse brings his A-game, some good commentary too. And later on, we'll let you know how you can join Jesse as a guest. Now, without further ado, here's Jesse. Welcome to another show with Jesse Jameson and Friends. I'm Jesse Jameson. Today's friend is Michael from Phoenix. The name of his story is, or the title of his story is, I Was a, a Scam Artist. Michael, thank you for joining us. The floor is yours. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Uh, Michael, and uh, I just want to again say thank you for having me. Uh, the story I'm about to tell is how I was a scam artist. Um, how I got into it was uh, all laced back to my family. My mom was a huge part of this of the business uh, when I was a kid and, and everything and uh, when she kind of walked away from my family. So when I reunited with they're looking for a job as disposable income, uh, you know, she hooked me up with this place. And the very first place I started off at was uh, a company called HDE. And I walk in there and I, if you could picture in the 70s when, um, when you would walk into a restaurant and there was, you know, smoke filling the air, ashtrays everywhere. I walked into a phone room with little cubicles and grant, grant you, this was, uh, you know, early 2000s. And, you know, they, you could smoke in the office. They didn't want you to give, get up off the dialer. And the very first thing I met with is people uh, pretending to be handicapped in order to sell trash bags and light bulbs. Mike, you said this was the early 2000s. Give us um, and the folks at home an idea of how old are you at this time? When I first started, I was 16 years old. My very first introduction into phone sales in general and into this type of line of work. And, and did you get there by mistake? In other words, were you thinking you're walking into just a traditional job? Were you kind of a, a naive 16-year-old? Or what are you thinking? Or did you know right away something's weird about this place? Oh, uh, absolutely. When I walked, when I walked in, I, I was a little bit taken back by the pitch they had written out on the desk and the way people were responding in there. But at this point, I'm already, I'm already on drugs and been on drugs for years. And my mom tells me that, hey, you can go in, you can collect half your paycheck during the week, you know, uh, every day, you'll get daily bonuses. I'm like, cash on the spot, I can get high every single night. So let me get this straight then. You knew what was up because you're already living kind of a shady lifestyle at this point, even though you're only 16. And instead oh, absolutely. And instead of being a beacon of light, it sounds like your mom's kind of the one leading you down the path to destruction. Please continue. Oh, for sure. You know, I, my mom had been had worked in this business before in that same shady room. And then she moved on up to making to verifying these shady ass sales. And so she was working in a different part of the same building. And, uh, you know, for me, it was just getting started was kind of getting used to being on the phone there. And it was super easy. And like I said, it, I was already so shady. There's no moral values 
uh, that are being broken in my mind because all I care about is the fact that they're going to give me the the pay at the end, the bonuses, you know what I mean? So you want these bonuses because there's daily cash spiffs or whatever you want to call them. And these cash bonuses, you're liquidating directly into basically your drug habit, right? You're using it for money for drugs, right? Is it, sure. is it good money? And not only is it good money, but what type of people are you making? What, what type of people are you scamming? So when you come into this, uh, the only type of people that you're ever getting on the phone are the old, the, the old people. People that hear your story and think that you are handicapped, that you are blind, and and they want to purchase your products because they believe that it's going to help your life. So, what type of products are you selling uh, the elderly? Are you selling them, um, you know, perishable items? Are you selling them? Uh, don't, is it a donation thing? Because I noticed you said earlier, you know, handicap and there's a pitch on. Can you give us an idea what the pitch, pitch is like? It sounds like the pitch is even a little shady. Oh, there's been so many different pitches. And so in the beginning, when when I first started off, it was like, hey, this is Mike. I'm calling from the, the HD, the handicap workshop. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the base pitch of where, where it started from there. I just know that as I grew, the pitch grew. It became more myself uh, saying the words that I needed to say. Uh, you know, uh, Miss Jones, we're calling with the, the handicapped workers of, you know, the handicapped and disabled uh, workers. Uh, we've, and, and <clears throat> you know, once they kind of hear that, for the most part, you know, this is going to help keep food on the table. You say whatever you want to say as long as you can get that part out. And, uh, and you know, the last time, and it was always a reintroduction for most people. Uh, this is the way I learned how to sell. I acted like I had talked to him before. You know what I mean? The last time I called, you weren't able to help us out with with uh, with the trash bags or the light bulbs. You asked me to give you a call back. It's that time of year again. We're just looking to either I, – I think at one place it was like, oh, I'm trying to get shelter credits or I'm trying to get, uh, you know, food boxes. If you verify today, they'll give me a voucher for a food box or and whatnot. Now, Michael, this is very interesting to me because when I was younger, because I'm in my mid-40s, when I was younger, a lot of people are doing telemarketing jobs. It, it was big. It was, it was probably bigger than fast food, right? When we think of young people, we think of fast food. And I would say just as many were doing telemarketing gigs back in the day, whereas, now they, whereas now they might be doing Uber or Lyft or some other type of gig work, right? Um, did you get the feeling that this was a new thing or how long had, do you, was there a history behind this? How long was your mom affiliated with the company before you were involved? I'll tell you, my mom had been working there for years, uh, prior to me going to work there. Like right before she left us, right before she left on the night of my 13th birthday, she had already been working there, um, for a year or so. And it was simple. Every night she was able to bring home some money. So they picked up their sacks for her and my dad. And, 
you know, if we were lucky, they picked up some food for us kids that night, usually some fast food or whatnot. And then, you know, at the end of the week, she collected a check too, you know? Now, I didn't know at the time that it was half your paycheck was during the week, but, and then the other half was at the end of the week because, you know, you're basically drawing off your check. So, so if you're drawing off a check, but you still get a check in a weird way, that's kind of a, a paradise for somebody that's going through drug addiction, such as you. And since you're, oh. going th- since you're going through drug addiction, I imagine it's probably hard to keep a traditional nine to five. So is this one of those jobs where they know that you've got addiction? So uh, you're kind of allowed to come and go as you please, or is it still pretty be here at, you know, nine, nine to five, Monday through Friday, or, or give us an idea of, of how many days a week you're working at this scam operation. So the very first bill, the very first play HDE was my introduction to it, right? It was, uh, you're set hours, you're on a dialer. They have all the old people that you can imagine. And the, the creme de la creme, the people that you really wanted to get, the people that everybody used to fight over for was catching that one person that you knew if you called them three days from now that they were going to forget about you and they will buy another pack. You know, they'll buy another 24 case. They'll buy another 12 pack. They'll buy another five boxes of, of things. And it's all Mike, when you say a pack, a 24 pack, I mean, you're obviously not selling beer or anything, I thought when you mentioned handicap and stuff that you were kind of taking donations, but I noticed that you did mention selling stuff. So you're calling people, asking them to buy stuff in the name of helping handicap folks, I'm assuming. Absolutely. So, and what type, what type of prices and what is a pack? Can you give us an idea? Let's, let's, let's break it down for you. So let's go with the basics. Everybody, who deals with the basics when you're into this business, you have your, your key products. You have trash bags and you have light bulbs, you have Ziploc bags. And then for the people that have bought, you know, 48 case of, of boxes of trash bags, which will usually run you probably, you know, $500 for trash bags. Or if you buy a 24 pack of, of light bulbs, and you break it down like this. A two-pack of light bulbs runs $30. In the beginning, it was $20. It was $10 a light bulb. And we had this wonderful thing that these are these are the 10-year guarantee light bulbs. And they're amazing. You know, you're going to buy these light bulbs, Ms. Jones. And anytime they burn out or break, you're just going to give me a call back. And I'm going to send you out a replacement light bulb free of charge. Now, I never actually well, Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute, Michael. What's what's wrong with that? Not that I, I mean, I know this sounds stupid. I haven't bought in light bulbs in years, so I don't know what they cost. But the coil bulbs at the stores are like five or six bucks a bulb, or you know, let's say three bucks a bulb, depending on if you buy in bulk. You're selling them for ten, and then you're replacing them if they burn out. That that sounds kind of like a decent deal. Now, I agree. If you're using being handicapped to do it, it's wrong. But was the what's wrong with the price and how do you go from 30 bucks and 20 bucks like you're talking now to 500 bucks like you were talking a minute ago so that's what i'm saying is is when you start off at the low pack nobody wants to start off at two light bulbs because you're making two units that's you're leaving out the door 
with $2 in your pocket for a $2 sale instead of the, the commission that uh, you would get from selling the larger packs. And granted, I don't believe in my heart that these bulbs were, were anything more than they went and picked out bulk light bulbs from the dollar store or figured out who the dollar store was getting their light bulbs from. But the point was to make these light bulbs sound like the best light bulbs in the world. Because now, I, I don't even remember light bulbs. I think you would get a pack of four light bulbs for $5 at any any grocery store back in the day. So to say that you would get two for two for 20 and they were a 10-year guarantee, but you're playing off the fact that you're going to call them in three months. So they're never going to get a chance. So you were, I, I forgot, you're talking early 2000s before the new uh, energy efficient bulbs came out. You're talking those old school pieces of crap bulbs, right? That would go yeah. out, you know, the first day you get them occasionally, especially if they're from the dollar store. Mike, that makes you a piece of poo poo, or at least you used to be. You're different now though, right? Because yeah. um, you've asked me, you're like, hey, Jesse, I'll share the story, but you know, we got to keep it anonymous completely. So we're not letting them know your last name or, or any, you know, what initials stand for or anything. Because I know you said HDE, we're even going to keep that uh, under wraps. I really do appreciate yeah. being here. You're not a piece of poo poo, or at least not anymore. Continuing right. what you're saying. So basically now you're a 16 year old kid. Are you making good money or are your drug habits getting to the point where you're just making enough to leave to get your fix? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm keeping enough money to party hardy on the weekend and keep, make sure I can get high every day. That's, that's, that's the beginning. And that's how it starts off for me. So I, I stopped doing that for a while because uh, there, there's a bit of a falling out with, with the place or whatnot. And, it's below me. And I'm like, I'm going to do better. So I do, I do some other BS and uh, let's face it. You can't, you can't do landscaping while you're high on meth every day. It just doesn't work. And so, so what you're describing for the folks at home is a situation where deep down in your heart, you know what you're doing is wrong but you kind of validate it because you're addicted to drugs. Like I said earlier, it's a, it's a job where I assume you're kind of allowed to come in late, leave early, leave to go smoke or do whatever you got to do at lunch. Is it one of these places that kind of accommodates the folks that, that have drug uh, issues and keeps them addicted or, or, or are they against that? Are they trying to, to help you quit that? Is there anything positive about these places? No, no, absolutely not. So, not in the first building, at least. In the first building, with the, with, the, with the first office I went to, I think it was because I had done way too many drugs and I missed so many days that they were like, oh, you got to go. And I'm like, well, that's fine. You know what I mean? It, this place sucks anyways. All these people are weird. And, uh, and so I move on with my life for a bit, for a bit, you know? The, I, I do some other things and, and I'm bad at it. Like I say, you can't landscape when you're high on meth. It just doesn't work. You're dehydrated all the time. Shit's messed up. You make mistakes like cutting people's bushes in half. And, and then the people, the people want you to. Wait a minute. That sounds like a great story for a future show. What? How, okay. Describe this bush that you cut in half or were you just joking there? Did that really happen? Yeah. Well, uh, not in half, but there were plenty of mistakes where they give you a tree trimmer and you're like, you're supposed to 
you're supposed to like trim the top to the trees and by by the end of it the whole thing looks like a wave and they have to redo it you know and there it's just bad <laughs> and then they that they, make is run, <laughs> they make you run around with a leaf blower and, and there is you're never moving fast enough even though i thought i was moving hella fast you know what i mean the amount of method i was taking i was like you guys can't keep up with me but apparently it wasn't the right way you know, and they don't like having to re-rake the rocks because you blow all the rocks into a corner. Mike, hold on. That That's awesome. I, I love how you just got into it. You were kind of reliving the moment. This show does kind of have a time machine aspect because we're talking about stuff from the past predominantly, right? There's no stories in the future that we can talk about on this show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Mike some more. Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. When it comes to financial planning, most of us would probably rather have a root canal. Math, budgets, keeping ourselves and our loved ones secure after retirement, planning for retirement, risk, reward, and the like. How do you find the answers you need? Tune into Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina. They'll help you feel more secure in your investments and your future. Listen every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear, and listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thanks for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Welcome back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. We're here with Michael from Phoenix. Michael's story is I was a scam artist. The best part of the story is the was part. This is something from Michael's past. Mike, you were just letting us know kind of a funny story of how you created a wave out of a tree and then they made you blow the leaves away and it sounded like that sucked too, literally. So uh, you're at a place called that you have described as just HDE. You're not letting us really know what that stands for. We're keeping you anonymous. Take us forward now. What what happens after you have parted ways with HDE and you found out that being a landscaper isn't working for you? So what ends up happening again is it's one of those times where uh, stuff's getting pretty rough. 
I'm living with my aunt. I'm bouncing from from couch to couch. I need a, a job. There's something that's going to work. And and I and I go. I call my mom, and my mom says, "Hey, I know a a, a lady by the name of a Cheryl, and she she has the hookup. She's at a different place now, and she'll get you in where she's at." And so I had an idea of what I was coming into, and I can always make myself sound amazing, you know, for whenever I'm doing a job interview, uh, and. And so I, I walk into this place. I fill out the application. They've already put in some good words for me. And this place is by far better. There's no smoking. You come in at a certain time, but you could take a break whenever you wanted. Uh, you know, they didn't really care about a bunch of stuff. And so I found myself with the people that I like to be around the most. You know what I mean? Now, there were some sober people there. And I knew that they were sober because they, they talked about being in a program and there was some other stuff going on in their life. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, good, good for them. But that's not the people I was drawn to. I was drawn to the marijuana smokers, you know, the people who like to, you know, we took a break, we took a break, you know what I mean? 420 was every 25 minutes. And, and, and then I was drawn to the other people that, you know, hung out in the bathroom you know what I mean? And, and, and at that place, at the second place I worked at was probably more detrimental to my methamphetamine use because. So let me get this straight. Second place is still a scam or is this just a regular phone room? Because it sounds, uh, it sounds to me like you still have some low life people, but it sounds to me like they have a little bit more structure than the HDE place. Yeah. Well, they have more structure without having structure. You know what I mean? You can use your own pitch. People there, I, like I ran into a lot of people that had a pitch that worked best for them. And then I really fed off of people's sales tactics. I became a salesman in the second place. I always had a knack for selling, but I became a salesman. I learned how to use my voice. I learned how to pitch a story. I learned how to understand what people wanted to hear. And based on what they were saying, figure out what I needed to say next and be able to do it like. Well, give us an example. So you're basically saying in the first place, you're so spun out on drugs and you're so young and don't know any better that basically you just start telling them you're handicapped or whatever it is you need to get them to say yes to whatever it is you're selling trash bags and light bulbs. This new place you're at, you're starting to learn, I guess, salesman's lingo or con artist lingo, correct? Are you still yeah. sell? Are you selling similar products? Have you moved up to technical gadgets? What are you selling here at, at place no. number two? It's always going to be in these places, the 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 trash bags, light bulbs, maybe some candles. When they start, when people start getting bored of the trash bags and light bulbs, it's always Ziploc bags. You're always trying to find the thing that you haven't sent them before that you can you can make a big up on, you know. And it's insane. So to give you an idea of the people that I work with, when you come into this second job, now you got the couple people that are sober. Uh, you have the boss, you know, who later on gets, who gets uh, taken down uh, by, I'm not sure what, what group. It was. I think it was uh, the F, not the FDA. It was the, it's something to do with the telecommunications network. 
FBA Future Business Leaders of America? Did the FBLA? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, no. but it's something like FTC or FCC took them down. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're, 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 really we're, so was it like a raid like you would see on TV? And if so, were you there or did you hear about it? Uh, you know, from third a third party. What what happened exactly? So this, I'm going to get to that part because I don't want to ruin the story and tell you the ending before I get to the middle. So. Let me tell you about the people that you work with. This is what, what I would like to call the drugs in the workplace. So it's, it's super known, uh, the people that are using drugs, because they're the people, they're, they're doing the craziest stuff. You got people that are drunk, halfway drunk. They leave to go to lunch, come back drunk. We come back stoned. And then the bathroom is a free-for-all for, you know, a couple people. I had a buddy, Steve, who was like the cousin to one of the big writers in this room and me and him would be in the bathroom like 25 minutes just uh you know passing that passing the pipe underneath the stall passing the pipe underneath the stall I'm getting twacked out listen when I tell you that there's no place inside of a bathroom that I haven't snorted uh meth off of I swear to god there's no place I haven't this it there'd be some desperate times bro I swear I've snorted piss because there would be a, there would be a, a, you know, a pee stain on the, the toilet. Michael, come on now. <laughs> All right, so you're basically trying to say you've had some hardcore drug problems, and you've gotten, yeah. you, you've snorted. I mean, you, you, I've, I've heard of some bad places. So you and you and this guy, is it his name Steve? You said. Yeah, he has a relative that's one of the big writers. So because he has a relative that's a big writer, is he kind of given a little leverage and is he allowed to be a goof off or is this a place where everybody's allowed to do whatever they want to do? Listen, everybody's allowed to be a goof off. You know, there was a script at the other place and they wanted you to follow that script ad lib just a little to get everybody back to the price. Just for fun. Uh, Mike, can you. Do you remember the script at all? I know it was 20 years ago or 15, 20 years uh, ago. Do you remember even a part of it, maybe? Maybe the intro that you could let us know. This is the one that when 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 you get bored, you start coming up with your own ideas of the way to make people. So I pretended – so there was no – there was no, nothing. So the many people said, hey, this is for the better women. This is for the uh, – this is for – the blind and handicapped. This is for, you know, the handicapped workers of America. Uh, so one of mine, when I would get bored during the day and I needed to get things, I, I would be, I would call and I would say, my name is Roberta Burrito. I'm calling from the Batter Women's Shelter. And Miss Jones, listen, I want to say thank you so much for taking my call today. Now, I know the last time I called you, Miss Jones, I was in a bad place. Hold on, this is crazy because I was about to tell you your microphone sounds like shit, right? And then all of a sudden you're Bertha Burrito or whatever. And Roberta you, Burrito. You sound beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you sound great. Hey, whatever you're doing with your phone when you're doing Roberta Burrito, keep doing it for Michael from Phoenix as well. But So basically you literally took on a woman's uh, – now did you do that one after another or was that just shits and giggles? No. So like I said, you're calling the same people. You're getting paper that are that, that somebody's bringing in. And it's crazy. One of the people I used to work with who probably 
was one of the craziest times or the craziest experiences. I can't remember his name, but he was like this. He had like this English accent and he would come in and he'd bring all these like sample leads to the boss. And really what I found out was one day I was in the bathroom. He was like, hey, I know you you, you seem like you like the party. And so I started hanging out with this guy because I thought, hey, I could get better leads. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, he liked to give me a bunch of free meth. Now, I later on found out that he was gay. And every time he would hang out, uh, he would be like, hey, uh, if I give you enough meth, can I suck your dick? And I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good on that part. Now, Mike, let me ask you a question. Because, I mean, obviously, even though this is anonymous, obviously, I can still see your face. I'm talking to you, you know, and we're both human beings. So if you don't want to talk about this, I understand. But. Was that your only interaction with somebody trying to take advantage of you or, or use you sexually, knowing that they were leveraging something, whether it be leads or drugs and alcohol? No. And see, that was the, the, I think that was the fucked up part is that this, this office looks so unbecoming because it's in a three-story building. And you never think that the people you're running into are getting to that level. But no, absolutely not. So another guy by the name of Tom, I would go hang out with him and we would get high together and everything else. And then he would get, he'd get super smashed. And then he started talking about how he wants me to fuck his wife. He's like, yeah, dude, when she gets home, we just, you know what I mean? I just want you to fuck her, bro. And just fuck her. And, and so, and there was another guy by the name of Devon and, and he would get, so one time, he actually took me and we were getting super fucked up and, and I, I, and I didn't know about him at the time until like a little bit later on, but he actually, he, he took me to his house. We were getting lit and, uh, Hey Mike, uh, we're not FTC or FCC regulated. So you can curse all you want, but I have a challenge for you. Try to be, try to, try to be as nasty as you can with PG 13 mouth just for fun. (laughs) Okay. Well, listen, he took me to his apartment one day after work and like I'm heading home and, and uh, you know, he, he had this girlfriend and then I, she was beat up, bro. But enough meth makes any pussy just that great. You know what I mean? And, and Mike, and, I tell you not to curse. You curse 30 <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> I love you. Keep going. This is good enough. It, it, it's good. Keep going. I don't care. Yeah. But listen, any wet spot will do just fine, especially when you're doing the meth that we're doing. You know what I mean? And, and so he starts telling his girlfriend she needs to go down on me. And she starts, she starts, I, I don't know how many times she sucked my dick, but she did it. She did it so many times, bro. And then finally, uh, he just has me bang her out and, and everything else. And, and then she's like trying to convince me to let him give me a blow job. And I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. You know what I'm saying? And that is a little weird. That, that would was, be a little bit of a buzzkill. You know, you're getting ready to make love to this woman. And all of a sudden you got gnarly Tom sticking his pee-pee <laughs> in your face. Um, it's not even that. He doesn't want to stick his pee-pee in my face. He just wants my pee-pee all up on his face. He, you know what I mean? But I Oh, looked, okay. I got you. I got you. I looked like a young kid. So there's a sense of a bit of just over pedophilia. Like, he's 18, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? 
So there's obviously some dark stuff in that dude's past that tells you he searches for young boys on the low and he, and he does what he can, you know, to try to get them alone, you know? So he, um, was, he was the second situation or have you always been hit on by God? Like, do you find out that guys that are in this lifestyle of drugs and partying and stuff are, do they tend to be more open to this stuff that, you know, we kind of traditionally see as taboo? Well, I found out a lot more about, about it. Like you, like there are points in my life where I start selling meth and when you're selling with, when you're dealing with meth, you have, you, you end up meeting a lot of people that are in, in the, the, you know, that have a, a gay orientation or they're homosexual. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know the, the idea behind it, or, I mean, they're probably just as broken as most of us who are already doing drugs anyways, because of them coming up feeling so, uh, their psychological damage from their family. You know what I mean? That's the, after talking to people sober, like I am today, you hear a lot more about why there, there was such a big following in, 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 you know, the homosexual. So Jesse Jameson and friends, and I don't think Michael is anti-gay or anything, but we are, what we would never want to see somebody go against their sexual orientation because of drugs or because of a situation in life. And I think what you're trying, I think what you're trying to say is that in the process of selling meth, you started probably getting people that were propositioning you for whatever it took to get their drug um, or, or different. I'm sure you heard different stories. And I, I think that's the, the point that you're making. Yeah. Another, another thing that's interesting that I'd like for the people at home to think about is that we know that there's a lot of scam artists out there. I think there used to be more on the phone than there are now. I could be wrong, though. I could be way wrong with that. But there's a certain natural justice that comes to these people. Now, some people like to call it karma. But, Mike, I would consider those situations that you were in bad situations. So although there might have been easy money and there might have been money where you could do drugs whenever you want, and maybe you even had a job that allowed you to, but it sounds like there were some dark, bleak, scary moments. Did you ever have a situation where maybe a guy tried coming on to you and maybe he was bigger and stronger than you? Because how, how, oh, how, how, how old were you when you were 16 or 17 years old? Well, how how big were you? Excuse me. At this time, I'm 18, man. And you got to understand, I'm 120 pounds sopping wet, bro. You know, I am just, I'm on meth every day, uh, uh, every hour. You know, every hour, every second of every day. Like, I don't go to sleep because I need to go to sleep. I go to sleep because I've been up for too long and I pass out. I eat only because my body tells me I need to eat. And even then, uh, I'll do a little more meth and I'll, and I'll push that off a little bit longer. Yeah, there's seriously at that time of my life, there were some scary situations because now you're in somebody else's house. You're in their domain and at any time, the roles can change, you know what I mean? And I'm playing some dangerous games with the one guy who had the lead. Oh, you know, enough money will buy you anything. I hate going to commercial and doing this to you, but I have to. So when we get back, we're going to talk about the guy with the leads. I'm assuming he was a bigger, stronger guy. And you said that he had, uh, you'd found out he was gay. So when you find out, it's usually because you didn't know and all of a sudden you do. So when we come back from break, we're going to hear a little bit more about this with Michael from Phoenix. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. 
Would you like to host your own radio show? Jesse Jameson is an executive producer with the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the leader in live and on-demand internet talk radio. Jesse serves as executive producer to over a dozen shows on our network. If you'd like to connect with Jesse to be a guest on a show, do some advertising, or even want to talk about hosting your very own show, give him a call at 480-553-5719 or email him at jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's 480-553-5719 or email jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. In business, many leaders have a great vision but find their companies are lacking adequate execution. Transformative Experts with host Chris Elias takes you behind the scenes with real-life business leaders and transformative experts who can pinpoint why. Listen to learn how company culture drives execution to optimize results. How can you afford to miss it? Tune in live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you ever been interested in technology or the application? Technology is always changing and there is definitely a place for you in it. Listen for Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. Sharon and her guests teach you the skill set and present resources that help you incorporate and enhance technological know-how in your current career as well as prepare you for future success. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. for tuning in to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Do you have a super short story that you'd like to have Jesse read on the show? Simply email him. You ready? It's jesse.jameson at voiceamerica.com. And who knows? Jesse might just read your short story on a future show. And now, back to Jesse Jameson and Friends. Yeah, Mike, don't curse, okay? Hey, welcome back to uh, Jesse Jameson and Friends. Shit just got real. Mike, you're in a place with a guy that's trying to sell you leads. Leads make you more money, which in turn is going to get you more drugs. But you said you were 120 pounds sopping wet and that you came across some scary moments. Was this a scary moment? Please continue. So this guy wasn't a scary moment because he was he was a heroin addict and that was his main focus you know what he wanted was somebody who he could get high enough that he could take advantage of somebody who could be out of it enough or high enough that their all their inhibitions go away and that was the idea and i don't fault him for being gay i i I don't i'm not into all you know hating people for their sexual orientation more power to them they know what they love and they can work with that. Uh, but when I'm on drugs, hey, I, I play the part. And this was the scary part. I played the part so that I could get more drugs and I'd hang out with them thinking, and he would always be trying to think that he has a chance. But the very first time I hung out with them was... Like, what, do you, what do you mean by play the part? Because sometimes I, I've noticed this with people that party a lot. They kind of tell a story and they kind of assume that we already know what they're talking about. What do you mean by play the part? I, if, I, if I'm not following you, I apologize. But when you say I would kind of play the part, what does that mean? So I had a girlfriend at the time. So it wasn't about me acting like I was gay. But it was about me thinking I was interested enough in his proposition towards the end that he could that he could possibly have that interaction. 
as long as he thought that there was a possibility, that's the salesmanship, right, of it. When you think about it, because that's what I'm already doing. I'm being a salesman over the phone, scamming people, selling them these half, you know, these trashy, uh, trash, these trashy trash bags and these horrible light bulbs and, and making them think these are going to be the best things in the world. Well, my time at that time, I thought my time was worth money. And so if you want to say that uh, I'm giving him my time or acting like I'm interested in really hanging out with them or that he has some sort of a chance, I'm playing that part so that he can give me the drugs. Now, this dude lived way out. He lived so far out of town. It's insane. You know, it, it's a it's a, a two hour walk to get back to where I live at. And uh, I have no this is before I even had cell phones, bro. Put it this way. You know, these are, these is just the up and coming where everybody's running around with the little Nokia's, but I don't, I don't buy those little Nokia bricks. You know, I've got way too much money tied up in drugs. So having a cell phone is, is ridiculous, you know? Uh, so you keep making the point that you're way out in the boonies. He's taking you far out. You don't have a cell phone. Even if you did, this is when cell phones were in their infancy. So for all we know, it wouldn't have even worked way out wherever he's taken you. Is he a giant big guy or is everybody big when you're 120 pounds? Well, when you're 120 pounds, every situation when you're put like that is, is a bit scary. And, and I remember at one point he gets, he's already done his shots and everything else. So I, I'm in the advantage again. Cause I played it until he got high on the heroin and then he was on the nod, bro. And, and so I feel comfortable once that, but once you're way out there, you, you, you never know what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? You never know if they're going to give you something that's, that's a little bit spiked and that could be the end of what you thought was a comfortable reality, you know? So I, I, I got him back into into taking me back and like i said the situation with devon was uh, a desperate time where where he would always catch you I'm at sorry. the desperate who's devon devon was another gentleman that was the second that was the second guy that uh that i met and like i said he was the one who who was who was always trying to be hey um he had me have sex with his girl and it was all in regards to to get a chance to to try to have a sexual encounter with me himself um, and, and, you know, that, so when, when, when we hear that sex, drugs, and rock and roll is so great and so awesome, right. And everybody's doing it. The reality is, is sex, sex or not sex, but drugs and, and bad decision-making can, can really lead you into some really scary situations. And there could be some situations that really change who you are. Do you have any friends? Because obviously you said you had other stoner type friends and now you're not just doing weed, you're doing meth and what have you. Did you have any other friends that did end up uh, going against their orientation and, and, and taking up offers? Or is it one of those things that's so, you know, shady that people just kind of keep that as their own skeletons in the closet? I've had, I've had people, because I use my stories now to strengthen people's recovery and to get people right on that. And sometimes that stuff that, that when they do make those, those dark decisions or when they make those decisions that they find, uh, they, you know, character, character assassination or character questionable, then they, they hold on to that stuff. And that stuff drives you to keep drinking and drugging, 
You know what I mean? Because you just don't want to face it. But uh, there's many, many people that that I've that have talked to me about being in those positions and not coming out uh, unscathed like I did. You know. So once again, even though people at home might hate scam artists and stuff, uh, maybe there is a little bit to this karma. It sounds like, Mike, it sounds like you've had the karma come back on you. I think if you had it all to do over again, you would have never got involved in any of those businesses. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show. Was this place and, and this guy, was this kind of like your turning around point or did you actually still, how many more years did you stay involved in the scam? And then, you know, obviously we'd love to hear what you're doing now and how you've hopefully pulled yourself away from it if you have. Yeah. So unfortunate, you know, uh, unfortunately I didn't get out of the business right away. Uh, I, I was still living with my aunt and them and, my life did make a drastic change in there. And it was due to one man who was working in that office. He gave me the very first chance of trying to, you know, in the beginning, like I said, that was when I was first getting there, meeting the Devon and the, the other gentlemen and, and everything else. But I also met a lot of really amazing people there too. Um, you know, my very first sponsor uh, for me getting sober, I met in that room. And that drastically changed my life. I had found out I was going to be having a kid with my girlfriend. And, and you know, it, it was a point where things needed to turn. And there was another lady by the name of Dolores who passed away. And her and her family took me in because they had gotten sober. And, you know, gave me a place to stay so that until I could get into a place where I could find recovery. So... I, I stayed working there because, you know, I, I don't know how to do nothing else. I'm a bit of a psycho, a psychosis. I've, I've lived since I was 11 or younger, getting high with my family and my friends. And it was just, it was always the idea of if you get high at home, nothing bad could happen to you. And that wasn't the case, you know, but my parents said that all the time. A lot of bad stuff happened because of that. But the the sad the crazy part is is I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I couldn't sell the way I was selling because there wasn't the motivation and you start to feel like what you're doing is wrong. The idea of what you're doing is wrong. You know you're scamming people. These trash bags and light bulbs ain't worth the shit, and you're not making the money that you should be. And you always feel like, well, in every business, the boss is getting the greater portion of everything. So. I, I kept doing it and finally I got tired of selling. So I was like, oh, you know what? My mom moved on to verification. And there was another guy, the guy who, again, his, he, his, cousin, his cousin was the big hitter. Well, he was such a big hitter that he decided to invest in his own trash bags and light bulb business. So I moved to that office. And when I moved to that office, I became a verifier and, and, uh, I would, uh, I would, I would see some of the stuff that was going on and it, I just couldn't do it the way that I was doing it anymore. Now, granted that same guy, when I ran back into him, Steve is the same person who I found myself. I had took a two and a half, a two year uh, re recovery time and blew it out the window and started using again. But you could see the writing on the wall for the, the company and the way everything was going. So I, I, they fired me or they, they demoted me for some dumb reason. Like I literally wasn't, I didn't take any drugs that day. I took some Benadryl 
and I and the Benadryl had a bad effect on me. I was I was nodding and all kinds of weird stuff were going on, and uh, I, I found out I don't like taking Benadryl, but. I, I knew that there was some weird stuff going on as far as I felt like they were double hitting credit cards uh, at that office. And there was a, a deeper scam other than the scam that was going on. And uh, you could see the writing on the wall that these same people, they're calling the same customers. You're getting letters and letters after people turning it over to the, uh, the district attorneys for their area. Mike, that was something that before you were in verification, you didn't, you were kind of blind to, right? They, they didn't really yeah. share that information. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing complaint after complaint. The writing's on the wall. You're freaking out. I'm, or, or I assume you're slowly but surely realizing the heat is on. Do you decide to cut ties with the industry? Or I know this sounds crazy because we're in 2020. Most of the telemarketing companies that call me are from offshore places like in India or Bangladesh or wherever they're calling from. Right. Are you still right. are you still in this industry or was this a turning no. point? No. So I, I left the industry at that point. I, I found out that I had a better there was a better calling for me and what I like to do more was the collections aspect. When I'm verifying, you're also a collector. So you're making a percentage on collecting the money from the people that have committed to buying the, the bulbs. Now you, if you were lucky and you did had a good pitch, you would get people to pay right away. But for the most part, they just got an invoice with the light bulbs and trash bags and they were, they would send it back, which is a key selling point for why people would take these trash bags and light bulbs. Hey, we're not asking for any money today or over the phone. We're just going to mail everything to you. You go ahead and send us back the check once you receive it. So, so Mike, once again, to me, so you're talking about kind of honor system, or at least in the industries I've been in, that would be considered an honor system type thing. Yeah. I'll send this to you, you pay later. So the point is that you were saying earlier is that if you have products that are super cheap and you sell them for super expensive, so let's say you sell a $500 order of light bulbs, like you were saying, or garbage bags, and all of a sudden you send that out to 10 people, all you need is a half of them to pay it and you're raking in big money, right? Or is it right. close? Right. Exactly. And, and so it, the, the, pro, the, the margins were there so that if one person didn't pay you, you had enough people that you gave a good enough story to that they were going to send that stuff. And then if you didn't, what my job was in the end was to call them and collect the money. Hey, listen, there's some sob story. We give them the second sob story to get them to pay with their check over the phone because, or, you know, even at that time, people trying to give credit cards and stuff wasn't, there wasn't as much credit card fraud as there, there was, there is today. And the way people are stealing stuff, they're stealing the accounts. You, um, you were mentioning earlier, Mike, that, um, that people that you would kind of call people regularly you said yeah. that a lot of these people are elderly and a couple weeks later, they might forget who you are completely. Can you give us an idea of like, maybe were there any people that were getting taken for a hundred, like, are they being taken for hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, just a couple hundred bucks, 20 bucks. Give us, what are, what are people? Oh, being taken no, for? no, no, no. Uh, there were definitely some talented people that, that knew the, uh, knew the names of people and certain customers and they would hit them 
for, you know, $2,000. Three months later, they'd hit them for another $2,000. And then they'd hit them for another $2,000. And, and so, and, he, and upwards and onwards, right? Just depending on what bundle they wanted to give them. So the, the idea was those would be collected right away and then they'd be ready to go again. But to, to kind of wrap it up and get you to the idea of where it was, I left there finding, finding myself in a position where I thought I could do collections better than I could do sales because it was the same thing. Figure out where they could do to get the money from. And that's where I left. And I left because they were doing some shady stuff. I, I felt like they were double tapping cards and there were some things that were going on. And wh what are you doing now? We have two minutes left. Obviously, the moral of the story is you slowly but surely got out. And I assume you never had to face any repercussions such as jail or getting in trouble. No. What, no. What, are, what, what type of work are you doing now? And uh, yeah, what are you doing now? We have a minute and a half. What's the, what's, yeah, the, what's, so what's the story you'd like to maybe let other young people know that are contemplating doing shady stuff? Yeah, and God, so and, God, and God forbid you put your phone on silent. No, no. Yeah, I, put that damn thing on silent and tell your girlfriend to wait till you're done with the show. <laughs> I I thought I turned all that off. Oh, to be damn, honest can you, you hear that thing beeping every three seconds? Holy shit! All right, listen, we're gonna uh, we're gonna. Uh, let Mike go. But Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. For all the folks at home, I would really like to start reading a short story that some of you guys might uh, have if you're an author and you'd like to have a short story writ, uh, read on air. Mike, I do want to thank you so much for being a part of the show today. And hopefully uh, we can have you come on again in the future and talk a little bit about uh, another story. But I thought you were very entertaining. Thank you so much for sharing. Everybody tune in again next week to Jesse Jameson and friends. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Jesse Jameson and friends. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Be sure to tune in again next week for another great story. Jesse Jameson and friends is heard every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time and 11 a.m. Pacific time. Jesse Jameson and Friends is a proud presentation of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. All rights reserved.